Scott and I'm Seth and we are track walking and you were supposed to let me do the intro first again go what are you doing go. what are you even doing go now hi I'm Seth and I'm Scott and we are track walking <laughs> my, my he makes teeth. me come up with ideas and discussions and yeah. then he just steals the thunder at the beginning this is ladies and gentlemen this is Scott. of how we do it and my teeth are really cold <laughs> Because I just ate ice cream. Yeah, kind of. I mean, he did eat ice cream. He'll have to tell you about it in nope. person. Nope. <laughs> I I like what I like, Seth. All right. So tonight I want to start talking about choice paralysis and how that relates to to modern racing and how it might actually make starting racing more difficult um and i want to i want to do the the wayback machine mm. here to talk about the fact that when i started um way back autocrossing there was an option you could go autocross with the seca or you could not autocross those were your two choices um, um, it's a light switch on, yeah, and, and that's how it was. And I actually found out later that I probably could have autocrossed with like the BMW Club or something like that. But that was, those were not, it, it was not a known option until you, you got the other options. So, you know, you want to autocross. Cool. Find out where the SECA is autocrossing. Go there. Sign up in person because online sign up wasn't a thing. Yep. And uh, bumble your way through it show up with your your stock streetcar get a loner helmet um the tech guy will help you put tape numbers on your door and then hopefully you get adopted by somebody in your class and they sort of tell you what's going on and how to do it and do it better and in a lot of ways it made the world very very simple um you just paid your 25 bucks and you went autocrossing and then as you got more into it, you were like, cool, I need better tires. And this was before 200 Treadwear tires. Um, I started autocrossing when streetcars were all on Hoosiers. Sure. Um, there wasn't like, there wasn't a good street tire. It was either Hoosiers or whatever the, whatever else people were running. Yeah. And then I've got to imagine the Hoosiers back then were worse than the 200 Treadwares we have now. Everyone, see, I never ran Hoosiers in because I didn't have that kind of money. But everyone I know who ran Hoosiers back then will tell you that Scott is correct and current 200 Treadwares are better than Hoosiers were in the early 2000s. Like that's how much tires have progressed. Um, but then the Falcon Azenis? Azenis? How do you pronounce that? Sure. Azenis? Sure. That tire came out. Yeah. And it was a high-performance street tire in sizes, like tuner car sizes. Was that the 615, right? The original 615, though? 
Yeah, probably. Okay. I just know it was, we called it the Azenis because yeah. it like, you, there was no, there was nothing to differentiate it because that was the tire. Sure. And, and it had, and it wore well was the big thing. Like all season tires chunk and do horrible things. And this tire wore well and it had a bunch of grip and you were like serious when you had it. But again, like you put whatever size tire fit your car and you went autocrossing. You didn't have to worry about which was the fast one. You either could afford Hoosiers or you couldn't and you bought a Zenny's if they were in your size. Yep. The end. Quick um, shopping list. Shockwise, for most of your cars, you could buy uh, Coney's. Yep. Coney Yellows, right? Coney Yellows. Yep. That was it. That was your choice for most cars. You could buy whatever the stock parts store level stuff was or Coney Yellows. Um, there were super fancy ones still available, but again, like to your yeah, knowledge not, at that at level. Yeah, you had to know a guy to know about those things though, right? Like even if you were reading, you know, car magazines, you were reading, uh, what were we reading back then? Super Street. Super Street, yeah. If you're reading Super Street, like if you were a dedicated Super Street reader, Coney Yellows were the business. Yes. They had a knob that you could turn. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the Coney, oh, the Coney knob. Like when you reach in your car and you got out the Coney knob and you popped your hood. Yeah. Serious. That was so pimp. Serious like, business was happening. Yeah. You were a serious autocrosser. My Honda Fit had Coney Yellows on the rear. I have Coney Yellows on the Accord. I had yellows in the rear and to adjustable Tokikos up front because both companies didn't make an adjustable version of the other end of the car, so you had to <laughs> put them both on. That that's a, yeah, that that so. sounds like uh, sounds like the world then. And actually, the Coney yellows in the rear were actually from like a Saab nine thousand or something like that. Really? Yeah. Just a big long shock that fit? Big long shock that fit and all you needed was like a little bolt sleeve adapter for the lower shock mount and that was it. Otherwise ah, it bolted up. Those were the those were the good old days. Like yeah. you didn't None of this fortune five ten adjustable stuff. should I get Motons for autocross? I don't know. You can. <laughs> <laughs> that's absolutely a way you can spend a lot of money <laughs> so there was in a in a lot of ways so yeah what we're talking about is the fact that that if you have a billion choices mm -hmm. it's actually much harder to do something because you become paralyzed by all of the choices you have and the fear of doing it wrong so when you only had one shock option, you either bought Coney's or you didn't, because a lot of cars were like that. You could either buy Coney's or buy what you could buy at, at Napa. And that was it. And so it was really a matter of, do I want to spend this money? And that was the only real question associated with it. Sure. And now if I want to go, if I have a Miata and I want to go buy autocross shocks, I don't even know where to begin these days there's i i might be exaggerating by saying there's a hundred different options there's probably reasonably somewhere around 
20. I mean, I can think of 10 off the top of my head immediately. Right. I would say 20. 20 to 30. I think you could reasonably do and that would include some of the cheap ones as well but yeah yeah because we're getting into this we're, we're the cheap ones are an option oh yeah yeah you can buy a pair of, they're a set of 800 dollars coilovers that still sounds expensive <laughs> you don't want those you no, really I don't know. want those i yeah, know my, and and so that's the thing is is if you're you know you you've you've gone to four autocrosses now and you think you want to put shocks under the car, that's a hard decision. Like, a really hard decision these days. Well, and I think this is, that would be where you kind of encounter what you don't know in some of these decisions. Because you have all these options, and then you immediately have to ask the question, well, which do I need? Immediately followed by, I don't know. <laughs> uh, or like I need to do research or I need to talk to somebody who's more of a expert than I am. And, you know, it was, a, again, back in the forum days, it's a lot easier to know like your, your two or three people on there who just like really knew their stuff and you could send them a direct message or like tag them in a post or say something like, hey, this is what I'm looking at, this is what I'm thinking about, but what do you think? And now it's just like shouting into a canyon and hearing all the echoes that come up and, well, this one worked for me and uh, I went with this one because uh, if you're you're lucky if you get a because. Um, yeah, and I think pretty quickly just in buying parts, you encounter what you don't know especially at the beginning and so you make the wrong choice you're afraid you make the wrong choice it always feels like you make the wrong choice yeah because you don't you don't know if the other one was going to be better yeah you just don't know i mean my my anecdote about choice paralysis is every time I go to buy toothpaste uh, up here in <laughs> up here in Michigan we have Meyer yep and Meyer has an entire aisle one side of the aisle but an entire aisle of toothpaste 50 kinds I think would be easy to say at least at least yeah of gel paste whitening cavity youth old people fake teeth flavors on top of all that brands on top of all change toothpaste though not often and seth i have started to bring in the old tube of toothpaste (laughs) because i'm like (laughs) i like this this is all I want because every time I get there, I'm like, Crest or Colgate. Crap, I can never remember. They both start with C. The packaging like looks identical. I know I like gel, not paste. Flavor, mint, I guess. But like how many different kinds of mint are there? There's peppermint. There's arctic mint. There's face full of 
tree mint. I don't know what kind of mints there are. There's a lot. But every time, like, I'm, I'm like, well, maybe I should look at different options. But then I'm sitting there, like, crouched down in the middle of the aisle, just lost, <laughs> not knowing what do I need. Do I need the complete care or do I just need the whitening? I don't know. So my better, st- that's a very relatable story. We all use toothpaste. Yes. My story with that is that uh, as the main shopper in the house, um, I have to buy tampons for people in the house. Oh, you and I talked about this once, yeah. And I don't use tampons, so I rely on the people that need them to tell me what they need. And at, at one point, the easiest thing to do was to take a picture of the old package yep. um, and bring it in and to just like visually go like, cool, I want to buy these again. Except every few years, change the package. The manufacturers change the package. Yep. And now I'm standing here in the tampon aisle and I don't know what to do. And I don't feel like I can make this choice. And uh, those were those were those were dark moments. Um, but I got through them. Yeah. So that because then you're like standing there hovering in a section that dudes <laughs> don't belong, staring right. blankly, and like you can't ask for help, not because you're no. a dude, but because who's going to explain to you <laughs> what? <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm just like a 40-year-old dude standing in the feminine hygiene section just staring. <laughs> yeah. It's it's an odd thing. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a choice. Choice is hard. Crippling. Um, it can be. can be hard. Well, and, and I think for people starting out now, it's, it's more than just shocks and tires. It's also like, where do I want to do it? Um, autocross, I think, is still largely dominated by the SECA in most regions. Um, there's some other options. But when you want to go do track stuff, there are more places to track now than there ever has been. And and there's there's some things like I, I tell people like if if your goal is to is to go do wheel to wheel, start with an organization that has a solid wheel to wheel program. Yes. Um, because they'll help to bring you up through their program. Um, but I don't know that you know the answer to that when you haven't done it yet. No. And there's multiple choices for wheel-to-wheel. Like, how do you go watch an SCCA race and then watch a NASA race and then watch a grid life race and go, oh, I want to do that? And honestly, I think, I think the answer for that more comes down to these I liked this one person or like yeah. I felt more welcomed when I registered here or you know I know this group of people or it seems more fun there something like it I think it's something divorced from like the facts of the case so to speak like I don't think where people go to drive has much to do with um maybe even location or organization. I think it's just these people I like these people. 
but also to to say no you're wrong about that mm-hmm. i think you're right but but also do you want a sprint race or endurance race because those are right. different organizations can for be. the most part in, in amateur racing those are largely different organizations do you want to do you know lemons or wrl or do you want to do sprint racing with the seca and nasa and and those programs have some endurance racing but you know the the major endurance racing players are not the major sprint racing players sure um and i don't know that you know what sort of racing you do until you go racing um i was talking to a good friend of ours this last weekend who has raced with you and uh he's been doing some endurance racing and is giddy is in love with it. Who is it? Uh, Mr. DeFries. Oh yeah. He's been off. He's been off. Oh, I've Brian DeFries has been off doing endurance racing I've, while his his I've, car is wrinkled. I've noticed. I think he's found his happy place. But that's the thing. He didn't even know that that was going to be his happy place until he went and did it. Yep. Which is fascinating to me. I might have known it ahead of time. Maybe. Because, anyway, we we don't have to get into the the particulars of uh, Brian, but he's a he's a team, he's a group, he's a people person. He is, and endurance racing is much more in your face team and people. We do need to get him back on the show to talk about his his experience with endurance racing and yes. and that shift. Um, I think it would be, and I think we need be to a neat, get, um, neat conversation. Get Andrew Rains back on too for that because yeah. he does he straddles that line often. Yeah. So, um, so I think for the, me, I I want to quick interject. I think right. part of the part of the trick about choice is what the grass is like on the other side. You know, I made this choice, but these others are, well, we'll just keep going on the coilover thing. It's like, I chose Olin's because oh, you're so baller <laughs> because they're gold. Um, ah, they're so pretty they're, gold and blue. So pretty. So nice. Um, but I could have gone with Motons, which um, the valving, you know, maybe the valving's just so much better. But they're more expensive. <laughs> it's, you know, all of these fences between these yards make what obscures the choice just enough to make it seem like either really clear cut what you should have done or makes every other choice seem like a better option than what you have now. Those fences obscure what's on the other side. So I've got these coilovers, but this guy who's raced and won a lot of races and stuff uses this. So that's what I'm going to do. Not knowing that it's going to cost a lot of money and... Do you know how to properly set up and tune a three-way shock or a four-way shock? Because that's a lot of knobs. <laughs> it's, you could get very wrong. Um, not that like it would make the car blow up or anything, but like 
could really make the car handle worse than a good non-adjustable shock would. I remember when I got my my Cadillac, which was the first car I owned with, really owned with power seats. And what I quickly discovered, I had the um, the Recaro, like the good seats in it, which had, I don't know, a lot of adjustments. And what I very quickly found out is there is a huge number of ways to make that seat uncomfortable. <laughs> and there's yeah. like there's like one way to make it really comfortable and a lot of ways to make it uncomfortable. And it's really hard to to zero in on that one thing. And that's just like making my butt not hurt for a long drive. And that was hard. And I have, I have thought about that with four way shocks. When people talk about that, I thought, man, I, (laughs) When I got a Coney with one knob on top, I feel like I get it wrong half the time. Yep. A lot of people. Um, and so, yeah, all, all you fancy guys with three ways and four ways, I I salute that uh, that choice, that multidimensional choice uh, box that you've put yourself in. Not here. I'm not doing that. For the record, I'm not spending... But- Three or four but, money, but would you? I'd have I'd have to have all of the practice and practice time <laughs> into it, which again, largely I just don't have. Um, right. You know, so you know, for me, some of it was just um, failure mitigation, if I can call it that. Okay. So, like, one of the reasons why I went with the Miata. Was it the best platform I could have gotten? No. Um, Miatas are great, but I went with it because of how known of an entity that it is. Um, You know, price aside, you know, Miatas are just raced everywhere. So I knew that it had been tracked and experienced enough that there could be a list of things that have been tried enough to not suck that I could get it to like 78 or 70 or 80% pretty easily car wise. And everything beyond that has taken the bulk of the time and effort and money and research and experience and all that nonsense just to get like, a few percent at a time above and beyond like that initial, like, all right, you want, if you're using these kind and size tires, you largely are going to be in this spring rate range with kind of this sway bar range. Um, you know, the whole motor swap again, like that's, I didn't, I didn't measure any bell housing when I went and did this. (laughs) Um, it was just, you know, I know I needed more power and this was like kind of the well, yeah, fairly well-worn path. So Pretty I well-worn think, now. You, you helped to wear it. I, yeah, there, there were things. But in a lot of these choices and in this sea of things, it's I don't blame people for going to the path well-worn because it's easy to look and see 
okay, a lot of people are using this platform for this kind of racing or this kind of driving. And it seems to not be blowing up all the time. So that's got to be good, right? I mean, there's a reason why you see more Corvettes, more Miatas race than Lexus, right? Probably. I mean, Toyota reliability, though. I mean, it's there. Yeah. <laughs> Not as race cars, though. <laughs> Lexus specific, yeah. But I I don't blame people for, you know, going that route because it is easier and it is easy to see that, you know, a lot of the failure points are taken out just by seeing what other people are doing. Now we can kind of poo-poo that and say, well, you lack imagination, you lack creativity, and you know, why, why don't you just go race a minivan? Like that'd be a lot cooler. And it's like, well, they may be right. It is cooler. But I mean, being that we know somebody who does that, it is cooler. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but like the number of things that you can get wrong in getting a minivan to that level are extreme and numerous. Yeah, it's hard. So the second half of what I want to talk about philosophically with this is is everything that we do, all the choices we make, um, theoretically should be sort of increasing our level of happiness in our lives, right? Like if I do something, I do it because I want to make it better. And in making it better, I want to make myself happier. You know, we talked about joy versus happiness, it's been a while. So, so I would say probably no to the happiness, but yes to the joy. Okay. But we think we're trying to make ourselves happier. Sure. Like you, you're, you've got some fancy new shocks going on. That whenever they get here. When they get there. I have some fancy new springs sitting in the garage. Ooh. Not doing Ooh. anything. What color? What color are they? Blue and gray. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm 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 not terribly excited about that. But anyway, so the the point of of spending uh it's not cubic dollars, but it's getting there on on good suspension. What what's the point of that, Scott? You tell me before I guess at it. Ooh, okay. Seth's about to light me up here. Um <laughs> I I mean my knee jerk reaction would be to say to make the car more pleasurable to drive. Okay. And I would hope that a measurable output of that would be a faster more controllable car and maybe a car that appears less crazy than it currently does <laughs> so maybe people don't think like i'm driving the car crazy but maybe the shocks were just kind of not suited for the task at hand um yeah i'd i'd have to say that more competitive maybe more competitive so you're trying to trying to be a little, little quicker out there sometimes that's Yes. Okay. Yes, I am. Do you, do you think 
being a little quicker out there will uh, increase your joy on the weekend? I think it's going to solve all my life's problems. <laughs> I think I'm going to be, I think I'm going to grow about two inches. You're not going to um, fit in your car. You don't want that. My hair is going to go back to its natural super dark brown color. Um, my skin's going to be tighter and more radiant. I'm going <laughs> to lose like 15 pounds. I'm going to have abs again. Um, you still have them. They're just hiding. <laughs> I have ab right now. <laughs> um, people are going to like me and, um, yeah, I'm going to, going to have all the clout that one could That's, ever want. Uh, I'll be honest. Like the, they don't they don't sound that expensive anymore because that's right you get a lot out of them <laughs> it's a lifestyle upgrade man <laughs> i know so that's the thing like we we do in general it seems to me and and this is as somebody who keeps throwing money at a motorcycle project so i i'm i'm very much the the pot calling the kettle black right now um smaller pot but yes <laughs> yeah yeah um the you you do these things you spend this money you make these choices to make these things better in an effort to come up with an outcome that will bring you more joy since we're we've outlawed happiness okay the thing is you've already done this before yes you mean buying coilovers? Yeah. Yes. Yes, I have. Do, do, is is your life appreciably happier from that step? From which step? The last step you made. Yeah. I mean, it, I was pretty happy with the upgrade when I first did it. I'm not even when I first did it, but like it was a big step forward for sure. Right. Will, will this be as, as big of a step? I doubt it. <laughs> um, but yeah, this, um, we should talk about, do you remember that quote I sent you with, uh, um, oh my God, my brain is freaking melting tonight. Depression versus melancholy. Yeah. We should talk about that next. We should talk about that. I should I should look that up on our chat real quick and, um, and do that. Or so so what kind of what I'm what I'm chasing here by by con continuing to pin you into this corner mm. is that we have at any point in our life we have all these choices before us. And we make choices with the expectation that the, it will be a net positive anytime we make a choice um, because we seldom make a choice and go, well, that's going to make it worse. Um, that's just not how we choose things. We choose things hoping that it will be better and make us happier. And, and given time down the road, we're not any happier than we were beforehand. We've just eliminated a choice. We we've figured out that that choice didn't actually make us happy, and so we discard that choice, and we go after something else. And it's not 
it's it's really easy to go, yeah, but these actually are better shocks. So they actually do make me faster. So that's going to be better. But a lot of things in life are we make a choice on, you know, a streetcar or we make a choice on buying a house or we make a choice on a job. And and we get a little pop of of joy from that. And then we no longer have that choice to make to get to that joy anymore. It's done and we have to make a different choice to chase that little bit of joy again. And all we have in front of us is, is fewer choices. If you go try, go try a set of, go try a set of conies and you go, yeah, those were pretty good. And the next time you choose, you can choose everything but conies because you've eliminated that choice from your, your network of choices. Conies can no longer create happiness in the way that they did one time. And so, so moving forward in life, and this starts to be me as an old man talking and, and having done a bunch of things, you know, I, I have talked before about the fact that I've done, you know, I've, I've gone rock climbing and ice climbing and skiing and into the car stuff I've done and the motorcycle stuff that I've done and, you know, all the different things that I've done. And so ahead of me in life to find something new to create that happiness is a much smaller group of things. I, I think I've I've found a whole bunch of things in my life that are really cool, but that no longer have the ability to generate that, oh yeah, type of 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 thing um that they did in in those first new moments or even especially before i had done them um the anticipation of tracking a car is a was a huge part of the joy of tracking a car i am going to get to go do this um and and i'll never have that back again as a matter of fact i am now to the point where i know that i don't really want to track cars again because the the joy for effort thing isn't in place for me anymore. I know how much work and how much commitment it takes to consistently track a car. And it does not have the ability in me to create that joy anymore. Not that it never did, but but I've been there, done that. Um, and over the course of my life, I have racked up a whole bunch of things like that. Um, that are very similar to that and and i think when i was younger there was a lot of i'm there was the thought that i was going to find this thing that was going to make me happy forever and i don't think that's real anymore so i my argument would be that not only is that not real, but that's an exercise in missing the point completely. Yeah, I think I was wrong. Um, but go on. But but I think even just more on like a practical level, if we wanted to kind of boil this down into kind of the you know top three things you can do to improve your <laughs> your life and your track <laughs> selection, would be like know what you're trying to do in the first place. Like, not just like, hey, I want to go time attack or, hey, I just want to get my car on the track. But it's like, why? You know, why are you doing what you're doing? 
And that question isn't meant to put up a barrier between where you are and where you want to be, but to help you focus your resources, your time, your money, your energy, your car, (laughs) Um, because you can't have it all. You know, most of us are limited in funds, limited in time, what we're able to do. So you kind of have to direct yourself. You know, it's like you could buy the world's fanciest shocks, the world's best arrow, the best, the biggest, baddest brake system you possibly could. Like you, you could do all these things, but most of us don't have the money or the know-how in how to actually use those things. But why are you doing it in the first place? And that, like, if you're out to win, like, if you're out to go racing and win at all costs, that makes sense. You're going to want the best. And then you're going to want to hire people who know how to get the best out of what you just bought. Right. Um, so in that scenario, it makes a lot of sense to me. That's like, I want to win at all costs. And you do all costs. <laughs> uh, otherwise, like... If you're like, my life and my obligations are stressful, so I want to go tracking to forget about some of the stress of life and just be able to focus on whatever I'm doing at the moment. And for right now, driving on a track helps me focus in a way that all the stress of life disappears for a little bit totally valid reason yeah absolutely um but you're not going to buy a set of seven thousand dollar shocks to forget about stress for a few hours over a weekend or at least i'm certainly not right so just know and you know we we talked about this a few weeks ago just know what you're doing, why you're doing it. But can can you know what you're doing until you've failed at it? Yes. You think so? Yes. I because think realizing... What, what, why are it, you failing in the first place? I is, think realizing... Is it actually a failure? No, I think realizing you did it wrong is the way you move forward to doing it right. Because I think we do things wrong way more often than we do things right. Yeah, I mean, in general, I think that's the case, yeah. Right. And I think in the, is, in the case of shocks, everything turns out to be wrong on a long enough time scale. Again, like it would, depends on if performance is what you're trying to get out of it. Like, if you're trying to exact performance out of it, then yes, it will, that there will be a very narrow window on any given day at any different track under different, blah, 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 that one track will be better than another from a performance standpoint. Otherwise, like, again, if you're just going to car meets and you just want to put your car as low as possible, kind of shocks that you have doesn't matter a whole lot other than like what color are they 
you should just spray paint them gold and put blue stickers on them. Yeah, how how high do the the threads the the adjusters go? So how low can you actually put it? That's a, that's a question I've seen many yeah, times. No, no, that's, yeah. Um, but again, like maybe you find one set and then another set you find out can go half an inch lower. So you're like, well. But how many people do we talk to who who were in the car show scene and and that was their reality and then they found tracking stuff and then they realize everything they've done is wrong? <laughs> Less, not many for me. I don't know many of those people. But I'm sure they exist. Yeah. No, but for me it's it's less of a, it's, it, it would be more of a question of why are you here? What do you want? Which I still think is one of the hardest questions you can ever ask somebody. And then it's, it's the trying to fill the hole <laughs> that, um, what a philosopher I read calls the lack in our lives. That we all see have. and that's where i think we are because i think i think we're actually running around trying to find all of the things that don't work we tell ourselves we're trying to find the thing that does work but i think we're continually trying things and not not being honest with ourselves that we're trying things to figure out what doesn't work. All right. So see, you called me all morbid the other day because I did. I talked, <laughs> I was talking about death drive. This is exactly <laughs> what you're talking about right now. That's that'll have to be a separate podcast, I think. But yeah, the, the desire to gravitate towards things that will destroy us is a, <laughs> it's a real sincere drive, but I think comes out of, paying more attention to the symptom rather than the disease itself, uh, which again, we'd have to, we'll, we'll have to get into. Those are many layered onion of, of decision-making yeah. here, but there are things upon things, but yeah, the, right. the choice, just the fact that there is a choice and per, we, we could even really say that there never was a choice. You know, we could go with the free will versus dest destiny thing. That yeah, there are a lot of choices, but it's like you're gonna you're gonna pick the one that you're gonna pick. Doesn't matter. Whatever you pick is going to be right at that moment. But it's also gonna be wrong in the future. Yeah. A good doesn't have to be a universal and forever lasting good. It can so be how do momentary. But so how do we, as we, as we age, as people, as we age in a, in a particular sport, not look back on, I don't know what you're talking about. You're, you're getting old in the sport. People look up to you. That's, that's a, that's <laughs> a lie. That is not a lie. People do look up to you as weird as you think that is. Um, and and how do you not look back upon things as, as just a as a series of 
mistakes and bad choices that lead you to this? It's, you know, the, I think the trope would be, well, every mistake I've made has led me to the person I am now. So it's like, I wouldn't change anything because I'd be different now. Because uh, you're super happy with who you are. Right. Um, <laughs> um, but like at, at the same time, I, and this is, this is hard for me, but it's like, I kind of have to have compassion and empathy for my younger, dumber self. Um, he's just doing the best he could at the time. <laughs> like he didn't know Seth. He didn't know. I know. But it's like, even if he did know again, like we keep talking about shocks, but it's like, even if he did know about shocks, do you think he would have, he wouldn't have been able to afford nice shocks? Right. Yeah. What wouldn't have been a thing. So almost hiding that knowledge from him made him enjoy the selection, purchase, installation, and experience of those shocks. When, when I talk to our, our younger or less experienced uh, friends at the track, when they ask us things, with the wisdom that we have. Mm. I almost feel bad answering them because like, like how should I build this race car? And I'm going to be like, you, you shouldn't like, <laughs> like don't just like, it, it is going to take everything from you and it's going to leave you with like four good memories and in a pit of sadness. And they're <laughs> they only going to hear what they want to hear. I know. Ultimately. That's I, it's I the difference between counseling and psychotherapy is you go to counseling to get advice. Okay. Tell me what I should do. I'm really conflicted. Should I date this guy or should I date that guy? Should I take this job or should I stay at the one I'm at? These are the kind of questions you ask a counselor or a therapist. Psychoanalysis is uninterested in giving advice because they know it's useless. And they know that you already know what you want to do. You are just layering it under years of hurt and experience and other people's voices in your head. And you are just trying to, or you're just trying to justify that you want what you want or that you think you want what you want. So psychoanalysis is more interested in, tell me more about that. <laughs> do we need psychoanalysis for racers or is it yes. just be horrifying why do you think I'm here it's <laughs> <laughs> what I try to do on the daily it's like somebody asked me well you know what what kind of tire should I get it's like who are you like as a human being <laughs> tell me about yourself <laughs> because these are the questions and ultimately it's like well here's your choices what do you think you're laying in bed at night and you can't sleep what are what are your fears because that'll lead you to what tire is the best one for you right now when was the last time you cried <laughs> and i will tell you what tire to buy and that is honestly honest to god that is closer to the truth of the human experience than most of us want to admit yeah i was talking to a guy at the track yesterday i went out i had friends who were riding big supermotos at the track and i was not interested in in uh, horsing around with a bunch of 60 horsepower motorcycles. 
It's a lot. At the same time. It's a lot. Yeah, I had I had other stuff going on and it would I was only gonna be able to run a few sessions. I was like, don't wanna interested. So I went and I talked to some people because I do enjoy the experience of being with people to track. And there was a guy who's who's raced uh, or tracked some some big bikes and is interested in doing little bikes because that's the the natural progression to like you know it, it's like guys who start in Vipers and then go to Corvettes and end up in a Miata and are like cool now this is a place where I can actually learn to drive. There's the motorcycle progression down 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 like that as well. And he was kind of talking about what bike to get, and I said the first thing, the very first thing you have to realize is that your choice will be wrong. <laughs> said so to to some degree it doesn't matter what you pick because it won't be the the bike you choose now will not be the bike you want in 6 months to do this sport with. Said so you just have to buy something and get out there and realize why this one is wrong because every choice you could make has something wrong with it. So realize why that's wrong and why you want something different than you own. And you have to go into it accepting it. And I swear to God, his eyes glassed over and he just like wandered away. Yeah, it's not what he wants to hear. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the, some Matrix philosophy right there is you've already made the choice. You just have to understand it. <laughs> <laughs> right. But it's true. Like I... no one... And, and it's somewhat true with track cars as well. The the only difference is so often in track cars, you're just like, you're into this for the money that you're into it. And you simply can't afford to make a different choice. Sure. Um, and so like you get two years into track driving and you're like, sweet Jesus, why am I caging my daily driver? Like that is such an idiotic because choice. Their grand, they saw their grandmother's dead body when they were too young. Right. And they're like, you know what? I need a cage in my race car. <laughs> yeah, I need a, I need a cage in the car that I was dailying to my normal job when I used to have regular friends. Yeah. And uh, so that's what I'm going to do, even though if I cage this car, every time the motor blows up, it's going to cost me $3,500 instead of $600. I got evicted and my girlfriend broke up with me on the same week and that's why I need a turbo. That I'm pretty sure that's actually happened. <laughs> that's... <laughs> The tale as old as time right there. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, tell us uh, tell us what traumas happened in your life and the poor decisions that you've made uh, coming out of it uh, in track walking chats because that <laughs> seems like a super fun topic to, to share with people that you only halfway know and interact with. Absolutely. But, uh, you know, it's kind of kind of what we do here so anyway uh best way you can help the show is just to share an episode your favorite episode your least favorite episode and um really helps us and leave a review if you want to uh whatever platform you do and uh we'll be around i'm scott and i'm seth we'll talk to you next week